Alex Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. It's a busy opening of the show, but the biggest item by far is the new footage released by Kevin McCarthy to, to Tucker Carlson of the mostly benign footage of the January the 6th non-insurrection. All of the usual suspects look really terrible here and should be held accountable for imprisoning people without cause or due process. But will there be any consequences? I ask that question. I also uh, note some more of the heroes and villains of this saga before we get into a pretty long slate of compelling stories. Um, Our guest today, Emma Jo Morris, Breitbart's politics editor, we get her thoughts and reporting on all manner of things from the transing of babies to the war in religious schools to conservative coalition building and more. Let's get into it. Revelations on Tucker Carlson's show footage from January the 6th released, and it was sent to Tucker from Kevin McCarthy's office, which was a good decision by Kevin McCarthy because he said he would do it. And then he picked, I think, a good platform because Tucker dedicated a lot of time to January the 6th, proving that it was overblown and overhyped by the January the 6th committee. And in retrospect, that looks pretty good. Um, I took a different approach, you know, with this show and with us at Breitbart, even though we definitely kept up on what a farce it was and what a fraud it is. I, I, I tended to ignore it more just because it was a, a pretty hopeless scenario for a long time for anything meaningful to happen in terms of justice for the people who were there. And uh, I think that there's still it's an uphill climb to get actual justice. But I will say it is pretty clear, given the footage, if you watched any of it yesterday, that the vast majority of people who were present in the Capitol on January the 6th were peaceful. It was a mostly peaceful protest or riot. And there's certainly no insurrectioning happening. That was, you know, a handful of people uh, at the most, if anyone. And just, you know, the media just treat as it was so overblown uh, that is, to say the least, uh, that most of the people are walking around uh, peacefully, kind of hanging out, wandering. Uh, the uh, is the, I think the thing that people keyed in on the most was Jacob Chansley, uh, the man who is known as the QAnon shaman, um, who does not seem well. I, I, I don't know if the, that will shock you. Uh, he does not seem well uh, the way he's moving around. Seems like he might have someone with some uh, mental difficulties, just a guess. And he had the one with the horns on and the beaver pelts, etc. And he was basically uh, being led through the Capitol by police. He's literally following the police. So he's walking around. The police are following him. The police are letting people in in a lot of cases, as people were saying in the past. And uh, the whole thing is odd, but certainly nothing where it looks like the republic is being threatened in any significant way. Uh, this is now uh, a battlefield, the way it was portrayed in the media on a constant basis. Uh, this does not shock anyone in this audience, but the visuals are so stunning that it is uh, hard to consider this anything less than a, a deeply significant moment. Um, because when you see it in its entirety, and you, well, we were not seeing it its entirety, but if you see the clips that are portrayed... Um, then you just see something that is just not at all 
not even a fraction of a fraction of a level of drama that will, has been portrayed, not just by our media, but by the Democrat Party and establishment Republicans who have sought to ruin the lives of the people who are involved, some of whom have been in jail for four years. I mean, there's no one who deserves to be in jail for that amount of time. None. Uh, is it four years? Or I guess it's two years. Um, but some people have gotten four-year sentences, I think. There's just nothing going on there where people deserve that level of punishment for this. None of it. Um, and that's pretty much of the people who I've spoken to who were there over the years. It, it seems like that was pretty much what was told to me, is that we showed up, we liked Trump, and we wandered around, and then we eventually got bored and left. And that was the common experience. The common experience was not pitchforks and torches, and we're going to burn this thing down, and we're going to hunt down AOC and uh, try to harm her physically. That was not what was going on here. It was a lot of frustrated people who liked Trump, who probably did not have full information about the election because who is giving you full information? Almost no one was, and we still don't have full information about the election. And a lot of them didn't understand that the cheating was a put in motion years ago via the community organizing and the cheat by mail and the tech censorship and all the things that rigged the election. And there are a lot of rumors going around about, about Dominion voting machines, which turned out to be totally baseless. Uh, and a lot of people who were confused, had partial information, showed up, wanted to see what was going on, and they eventually took off. That was the common thing that happened. And there's no, remember how Officer Sicknick was reported to have been murdered? Um, I, we're told, I think that we are, uh, so uh, in, we have in the front page of Breitbart now, you can see a portion of the footage from the Capitol that Carlson discussed um, was about the timing of Officer Sicknick's death. And he said, Tucker said that the footage shows Sicknick alive after he was allegedly killed by people at the Capitol. And the footage was viewed by members of the January 6th committee who refused to release it to the public. That's the key. The January the 6th committee would not allow for the public to draw their own conclusions, to make up their own mind. There was nothing transparent about it. We all knew that. It was purely political. We all knew that. But when you see some of these specifics, it is still pretty jarring that MAGA country was blamed for that murder for so long. And I can guarantee you that people who get most of their news from CNN and from MSNBC still think that MAGA murdered people. They didn't murder anyone. And the most dramatic cases of death from that day were, of course, Ashley Babbitt, shot by law enforcement in the back. And then Brian Sicknick, who we were told, you know, was murdered by MAGA and was not. And in fact, the timeline, according to Tucker, is uh, totally off, even about when he died and when the, he was told, his, uh, what we were told uh, by the committee. So his death was due to natural causes, according to a D.C. medical examiner. But we didn't learn that uh, for quite some time. So that is... A shame. Um, I will say that there's probably going to be a lot more of these forthcoming, which I'm looking forward to. And you're going to have to go to Breitbart.com for them. We'll put all of them up at Breitbart.com. Um, you need to see it to fully grasp some of the stuff I'm saying. Because this is, uh, it, it is people who were 
certainly there's some vandalism and there are a few people who are being hooligans, but you're just not seeing this sort of violent overthrow of the government rioting on any large scale the way it was been portrayed constantly. Now, I will say this does not undo the take that I've had since the beginning that we on the right, I of course had nothing to do with this personally, and I know the vast majority of you didn't either, but we on the right gave the left something that was incredibly valuable politically. The opportunity to portray us as conspiratorial and reckless and um, not believing in the, the institutions that uh, underpin our country, and they were gonna milk that for all it's worth. Um, I think it was Mike Cernovich who did amazing reporting on this, um, one of the few good guys uh, on this. I think even he had said this was going to lead to the Patriot Act on steroids. I think that was his line. And um, if it's not, then still, still, still the line makes sense. That's what was going to happen. They were going to use this to bust so many people, to surveil people, to hold them in uh, jail without due process, which they did. I will say that one thing that was floating online, and there's not a huge advantage for me pointing this out, and some of you, it'll irritate some of you that I bring this up, but it's such a big deal that I have to. Uh, it would have been nice if everyone had just gotten pardoned before Trump left office. Uh, and I know Trump did some pardons, and it would have been nice. And it's just important to remember this for the future. If stuff like this comes up. Uh, if all these people been pardoned, then I think it would have been, it would have been some good. And didn't happen. Um, so good, good stuff from Tucker. Great stuff from Kevin McCarthy for turning them over. So I, I'm also curious how some of you McCarthy haters, how you think he's doing so far. Kind of seems like he's in the realm of A plus for the first um, month or two. I guess two months almost exactly of his speakership. Hard to score it much lower than that. I mean, this is a huge thing that this happened. So in your face to the whole press. Donald Trump truth bombed the following. Get a great courage shown by Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy in releasing the surveillance footage to Tucker Carlson so that our country and indeed the world can see what really went on during the January the 6th events. A whole new and completely opposite picture has now been indelibly painted. The unselect committee lied and should be prosecuted for their actions. Nancy and Mitch were a disaster on security. Thank you, Kevin and Tucker. Free at last. I don't know what free at last means. I don't think anyone's free. I don't get that part. But other than that, it's a good statement and a big vindication for Trump in a lot of ways. But again, we all, I don't want to lose sight of a couple of points. One is that we knew he was going to be vindicated. We knew that was going to happen. Uh, I don't think we knew quite how peaceful this was. It is, and again, I'm not saying there wasn't some violence, but the, it was so unbelievably peaceful relative to what we were told. The, with the officers, I mean, looking like they were giving the QAnon shaman a tour. The iconic guy with the beaver pelt and the Viking horns, basically getting a tour from the cops. And it, it's the, I don't think we would we knew that much, but we knew it was probably going to be nothing if anyone ever saw the full picture of this. Or next to nothing. And we still gave the left the opportunity to demonize all of us. And I think we need to be smarter in our tactics. I've been thinking about this a lot this week with watching the self-immolation of uh, Dilbert creator Scott Adams, who 
ha- was reacting to a poll, this came up once or so on the show, where uh, it, it seemed like a, a lot of black people in the poll, which I don't even believe the poll, I think it was a Rasmussen poll, a lot of black people don't believe that uh, white people have a right to be white. And he was saying if that's the case, then that makes them a hate group. And there's some context there that he's trying to make some clever point, but it was just clearly teeing up. It was an an alley-oop to the left in the cancel culture to say that he's making racist statements. And because it sounds very racist if you use the minimal context, and if you use more context, it doesn't sound a lot better. So, and it just, it was so unnecessary for him to do that. And I've been frustrated with it because he's a very smart guy. And then now, as I mentioned, I think, I don't know if this, um, mentioned this in the beginning of the show, but I mentioned this at some point, that he's just taking himself off the battlefield. So there's, we have warriors in the realm of ideas, and it's a way of taking yourself off the battlefield. A lot of people took themselves off the battlefield with this contact, uh, with, with this, with these decisions that made, were made on January the 6th and around it. And so I don't want to lose sight of that here, but this is a vindication for a lot of people who did important work, Darren Beattie comes to mind, people who stayed on this and um, uh, fought the narrative that this was some insurrection. And it's one thing to hold the opinion that it was on an insurrection. It's another thing to go and fight it and fight the good fight and try to get some sense of justice. Now, will justice actually take place? No one can free the prisoners, January the 6th prisoners, who are basically political prisoners. There's still a thousand people who've been arrested overall. Uh, and Joe Biden certainly doesn't care about any of this. So then what's next? I'm curious what's next. I think that the next Republican who gets into the White House will have a lot of good they could do. But who knows which century that's going to happen. Sorry to be negative on it, but we're not exactly making progress on the key things that are causing Republicans to lose. So we're going to have to, the, the, the fight is just beginning. In fact, the stakes have sort of ratcheted up with these revelations. There's probably a lot more that can be said, but I got a feeling we have time to go through it, which I'm happy about. Um, so if any of you have any takes on this 866-95-PATRIOT, I'm really looking forward to hearing any of your opinions. I'm sure a lot of you watched it. And um, if you have if you have anything, feel free to share it. But now we get to the very frustrating part where the there'll be no consequences for the Liz Cheney's of the world and the Adam Kinzinger's of the world. There'll be no consequences for the CNN's and the MSNBC's of the world. But what we will get is the January 6th prisoners who we now know are largely political will stay incarcerated because no one's going to free them, legally speaking. Um, also interesting that this came out the same day Politico got a pretty big scoop that the Department of Homeland Security is secretly maintaining a domestic intelligence program. And this program allows agency officials to interview Americans without their lawyers present, which is raising civil liberty concerns. They could pretty much interview everyone. It's called, uh, Overt Human Intelligence Collection Program enables federal government to interview Americans in prison and jail, along with illegal migrants and immigrant detention centers. This is a trove of DHS documents that Politico got somehow. 
And uh, from the Politico article, under the domestic intelligence program, officials are allowed to seek interviews with just about anyone in the U.S. That includes people held in detention centers, jails, prisons. And DHS intelligence professionals have to say they're conducting intelligence interviews and they have to tell the people they seek to interview that their participation is voluntary. But the fact that they're allowed to go directly to incarcerated people circumventing their lawyers raises important civil liberty concerns, according to legal experts. And these documents reveal the significant number of employees in the DHS's intelligence office have raised concerns about the work that they're doing that it could be illegal. So very tricky over there at the DHS. Wendell Hasebo has written this up for us at Brightport News if you'd like some more details on it. But they just chip away. You chip away at the fabric of our country. And then before you know it, it'll be a level of a police state. We're kind of already there in some ways. Um, and I think that that's, we've seen them try this so often. We've seen the left try this. And it doesn't seem like they're going to stop trying it. Remember uh, Nina Jankovic, the uh, disinformation czar? One of those bizarre sagas, and it was so brief. It was like three weeks of the Biden era where they tried to create a literal ministry of truth, where the government would put a 33-year-old crazy woman in charge of uh, policing internet disinformation, even though she had a very odd background singing perverted musical theater songs and seemed to have no actual authority on misinformation other than a couple of years working on misinformation within the U.S. government. And as we learned from January the 6th, that is not exactly the most authoritative group of people when it comes to understanding disinformation is U.S. government officials. In fact, you might say that the U.S. government perpetrates a lot of disinformation. So the House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan has subpoenaed her to testify before Congress. So cool. I love that stuff. I love it. Holding the bad guys accountable. Jordan sent a cover letter accompanying the subpoena, which Breitbart News had uh, got, that his committee is investigating the now dissolved disinformation board. We have repeatedly sought information from you concerning your official actions and duties as DHS employee and former executive director of the board, Jordan wrote. And he continued, how the board intended to define this information, how it planned to collect information from the sources, how it anticipated countering disinformation, and how it proposed to protect the First Amendment rights with the subject of the questions. She is declined to comply voluntarily thus far. Should shock no one. So, very curious how that's going to go. And um, that will be an entertaining day of news if that takes place. I hope it's open. I hope it's open to the public. I, I wonder about this stuff because when you think about crime, when you think about surveillance, when you think about what are the real problems in this country, despite how vast our government is and despite how easily information flows, we can only focus on so much. And every day I will inevitably bring you something to the show to talk about that has been deemed a priority by people of authority in this country, by our news media, by our government, or both. 
that turns out to be overblown, overwrought, overcooked, or totally irrelevant. And then we'll be missing other stuff. There's a report out that the that Pentagon officials and lawmakers have now warned that there are Chinese spy cranes at U.S. ports. Now, any of you been paying attention to what's going on in our ports under Secretary Pete Buttigieg, Edge, 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 the greatest transportation secretary of all time, he has no idea what's going on at the ports. He's supposed to be in charge. So there's deep national security concerns that Chinese manufacturing company ZPMC, Shanghai Zhenhua Heavy Industries, has sophisticated sensors that can track the provenance and destination of containers prompting concerns among officials and lawmakers that China could track U.S. military operations around the world. Christina Wong writes for us. It came out in a report in the Wall Street Journal earlier this week. So we got spy cranes keeping an eye on everything at our ports. We're not even aware of them. The ports ports are logistically as chaotic as things get. And if you have people who don't care about their jobs, who are just there because they fit various woke boxes and they have way too many other problems on their plate, then you're going to lose track of certain things. But you would like to think we'd be able to figure out if there are any Chinese spy cranes there. It seems to be pretty fundamental. Yet we had no time for that because we were so busy investigating the QAnon shaman and his uh, near uh, successful effort to overthrow our government. All right. Republicans are demanding accountability following reports of Fauci commissioning a paper to discredit the Wuhan lab leak theory. So another good thing, Republicans trying to do the best they can. So a uh, memo that was sent out earlier this week Sent to, memo, sent to members of the Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic revealed that Fauci, along with at least 11 other scientists, participated in a call on February the 1st where they told that the coronavirus, which originated in Wuhan, China, may have leaked from a lab, and they asked for participants to author a paper that would discredit that theory. Hannah Blue is the details for us at Breitbart. You want to read the rest. But Fauci asked for a report saying that this theory was off. Recall that Jeff Zucker forbade CNN staff from investigating it because it was a Trump talking point. And this is when we're, is, is that one of the ones where they actually called out Breitbart by name that we were suggesting that could be the case? They do that stuff. They actually say, like CNN's newsroom, if Breitbart's reporting it, they act as though it's false. Even if we're right and they're wrong. They just credit it right away. So, our media is such a disgrace that they would just dismiss something because Trump said something or Breitbart said something that we can't even look into it. And then it turns out they're wrong. I mean, good thing Jeff Zucker's gone, but do you think the culture of CNN's any different? Of course not. It's not different at all. There's no curiosity about this stuff over at CNN. And what's noteworthy about CNN is that CNN does not even maintain the deep level of global ties to communist China as so many of the other big-time news outlets do 
as I wrote about extensively in Breaking the News. How NBC News, MSNBC, is part of NBC Comcast Universal, which does tons of movie business and theme park business, etc. in China. ABC News is ABC Disney. Um, you've got the New York Times is run by a board of people in the most powerful corporations in the world. Many of them all are either benefiting greatly from access to the Chinese market or they want that access. So those outlets are already compromised. CNN's one of the few where I don't even know why Jeff Zucker, I guess, just pull, just pure politics. There's no business reason for him to not have been interested in the Wuhan lab theory. Our media is such a mess. A ex-NBC doctor will get no jail even though he asked a nine-year-old girl for nude photos. An ex-medical correspondent for an NBC affiliate in Los Angeles will receive no jail if he pled no contest to asking a nine-year-old girl to send him sexy and private nudes. Dr. Bruce Hensel apologized to the young victim's family. And he entered his plea at an L.A. courtroom on Monday. I feel terribly sorry for what happened, he says. I've done everything I can to understand this isolated thing. Is it ever an isolated thing? I hope so. so it's a, the, the media is not sending their best, guys. Priorities, priorities, priorities. What are we interested in in this country? Southern Poverty Law Center, an attorney from the SPLC, another Orwellian name group, left-wing radicals who live to harass people like me and people who are on the right, even though they frame themselves as Southern poverty law. They don't care about any of that stuff. They care about left-wing agendas. An attorney was charged with domestic terrorism for allegedly rioting with Antifa. An attorney from the SPLC that tries its best, as Paul Waugh notes for us at Breitbart News, to list mainstream conservatives alongside hate groups like the Ku Klux Klan has been charged with domestic terrorism and after allegedly rioting with Antifa in Atlanta. Far-left agitators allegedly threw Molotov cocktails, launched fireworks in an Atlanta police station facility that's been under construction. So the defund the police movement is still alive and well. It exists. It's not gone away. People are not over it yet. And among the 20, 23 people arrested for what police call a coordinated attack is a guy named Thomas Jurgens, 28, who's on staff of the SPLC. So he deleted his LinkedIn page. Probably SPLC was unhappy about this affiliation that was noted. Mugshot's kind of smug. Seems to be smiling at it. But Molotov cocktails at police stations. Allegedly. But Antifa trying to burn down Atlanta. That took place over the weekend. And very few people. I'm sorry, not over the weekend. It took place a couple of weeks ago. And again, and not a lot of interest in this. It goes on. That's a real insurrection. Trying to take out law enforcement. Do you think the city of Atlanta would benefit from less law enforcement? We have it so backwards in terms of what will keep people safe. It's the places with the worst crime seem to dislike guns the most. 
People with the worst crime would have less policing. It's all an agenda to try to create chaos in our society. And everyone passes blame in the wrong places. Democrats are blaming CEOs for the abuse of Biden's migrant teenage workforce. Neil Monroe has written for this, uh, written this up at Breitbart News. And they're right to a degree, but it's only enabled by left-wing policies. A lot of people are getting hip to the fact that there are thousands upon thousands of children, legally speaking, who are working in jobs throughout the country because they're not in the school system. They just got here. These jobs are not jobs Americans want to do at the uh, minimal pay that the employers want to pay. And it's really a semi-slave labor state, indentured servitude type state. And the money gets sent to the cartels, gets sent back home. And a lot of uh, the, the, the bus have been happening more frequently of these things. We have no idea how widespread the problem is exactly. And, you know, Democrats are pointing the fingers at the corporations, as they do sometimes, and they're, they're right to a degree, but it's really they should look in the mirror first. That none of this is possible if it wasn't so easy to enter the country illegally, that once people got here, they were uh, given notices to appear in court and then released in the country, caught and released, which is the default policy of this country is catch and release. You catch them, then you release them, okay? So that is uh, our default position. That's what we do for the average person who shows up in this country. And when we do that, they're going to try to make money. And they will probably try to do it illegally. And American corporations who are trying to save a buck will pay them. And that's immoral. That's why we like the idea of E-Verify, invented by Chris Kobach, brilliant idea. Humane idea, which will lead to self-deportation if E-Verify is in place, which saves us resources. Because if people can't make money, they're going to go home. So, and Democrats look right over the root of the cause, I mean, the root causes, which is the open border, no more remain in Mexico, no more northern tribal agreements, and go straight to the American businesses, which is, they should, but then put E-Verify back on and close the border. New Yorkers are spending $5 million every day to house, feed, and care for migrants. Okay, so should this send a signal to New Yorkers that maybe we should do something serious about the border, or does it send a signal that Governor Abbott is a bad guy? I can guarantee you what is the conclusion your rank-and-file New Yorker is coming up with right now. Eight six six ninety five patriot if you would like to be a part of the broadcast couple other things I'll mention before we go to the calls. Um, I will say, I'll give you an update. The storms continue to hammer California. We talked about this a little bit on yesterday's show. Um, the Sierra Nevada is getting another 12 feet of snow. Just tons and tons of snow, just staggering levels. And uh, it's causing a lot of problems for the state because it's you know record levels. And it's popping up in places that never have snow at all. And uh, Gavin Newsom, when he skipped town to go on vacation, we all knew he left. We were able to learn that he was actually, uh, we learned uh, that he was actually in Baja, California. So he went to sunny Mexico. And there's some irony in that, leaving the snow to go to sunny Mexico, leaving his citizens behind. 
I, I bring this up partially because if Joe Biden decides not to run, I think he will, who's going to be the person who's going to be president? Because Newsom is, I don't, I don't know if he's got a good enough narrative and he comes off as very smug and he'll be divisive. Um, Kamala Harris is doing a worse job than Joe Biden. Buttigieg is doing a worse job than Kamala Harris. So who's left? And a lot of people on the Democrat side are pitching Michelle Obama. They want Michelle Obama to run. I, I've always thought Michelle Obama has no interest in doing it. I thought she's no interest in running. I don't think she likes this country enough to want to be president of it. And she's just hunting it in money without having to do much. She sells a book. It sells a bazillion copies. And that seems to be where where she's at. Like uh, She's going to do podcasts, and she's going to do documentaries, and she's going to do books, and she's going to do easy, fun stuff where she gets glorified and doesn't have to go through the hard work of actually being being president. But the Democrats, I think, are showing at least some signs of concern because they they keep floating her as being the savior, uh, as they did in the past. And I think that if she runs, I think she'll probably I mean, would win pretty easily. But I don't think she wants to do it. I don't think she actually wants to be president. But that is, the, you're seeing that surface, which I take as a partially good sign that Democrats are concerned that there's a good chance a um, whoever is Democrat nominee, if it's from the crop of people who are who come to mind quickly, that they might have tougher paths than um, I originally thought. Enjoyable to talk to Emma Jo Morris. She's one of the more compelling young voices in conservative media, and she writes very well. Those of you who have not read any of her writing, uh, she's also a reporter, so she gets a lot done in terms of not just writing well about the news, but breaking news herself. So we talk about some of the stuff she's been reporting on, and it seems like it's having some real downstream effects, which is heartening for me as her editor. And she's also interesting to uh, chat with as well on any subject under the sun. So we get into a few things. Let's hear it. Emma Joe, it's great to have you on the show. We've got a fair number of things to talk about. Um, let me, I guess, I'll, I'll give you the floor. Is there a place you want to take things first before I get into some of my stuff? Whoa, hot seat. First of all, I'm so excited that you're back and that we're on together. I feel like it's like it's been it's been forever. I missed you. I'm sure. Oh, wow. That's kind of you. That's, that's yeah, nice of you to yeah, say. So it's, there's something that you can't just you just can't capture when Alex isn't on, and it's fun. But but you're the goat. Um, so I'm wow. glad to be on. That's nice of you to say, and um, maybe it's just all of my bondage-themed drag queen baby talk that I bring to the broadcast. <laughs> that just so many hosts wouldn't dare to go there, and I'll go there every day. I will. I will bring the drag queen baby shows. <laughs> to the listener's attention, whether they like it or not. I think that's the je ne sais quoi, you know, with a bondage drag queen babies. It just gives you an edge. <laughs> I've always thought that, and but you can never lose your edge. That's the main thing. <laughs> well, thank God there's a lot of edgy content for you, Alex. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, the I, drag I gotta, queen I, bondage babies are keeping us in business. <laughs> you know... 
I, this is where we'll let the audience behind the curtain just for a second. And that with the drag queen bondage babies, whenever I see them, even though I know their lives are getting ruined and corrupted, I'm secretly thinking this is going to be terrific content. So I'm really happy that all these babies' <laughs> lives are being ruined um, by these woke monsters and these men in women's underwear who feel like dancing in front of babies in women's underwear is a good use of their time on this planet, which is finite. Emma Joe, like we're not going to contrary to what some of the global elite think we we all do die someday. I mean, not like 80 percent of us, not 90 percent of us, 100 percent of us do at some day will die. And do you how much time you want to spend doing bondage performance art in front of babies? Apparently quite a lot. That is one of the things that is quite popular in some corners of this planet at the moment. The the archaic media clerks who who lived a generation before us and ran, you know, really boring newscasts used to say, if it bleeds, it leads. But now it's 2023 and the new saying goes, if it's a bondage trans baby, um, or is it trans? If it's a a bondage drag queen baby hour, it leads. Yes, that's that's how it is. Uh, how many of the service funded freaks listening to the show know that I was joking and that I don't actually like it? And I would prefer just talk about normal stuff. I, I could do twenty more minutes on Bruce Willis with a uh, John Nolte if I didn't have to spend so much time on the trans uh, indoctrination of uh, of infants. Okay, uh, I've taken as far afield uh, right away, which happens quite often. Uh, but uh, I want to well, give you a chance no, I can, to. I can yeah. loop us back because this actually is okay. relevant to my coverage that I've been that I've been uh, looking at over the last few weeks, maybe a few months now. You know, because uh, there is one community left in America that won't be emotionally blackmailed by the trans bondage baby community, and that is Orthodox Jews. Ah, and I've taken keen interest in this community because of that, because you see, you know, in the public schools, you know, by nature, it's, it's, you know, dictated, you know, a lot of the operations and curricula are dictated by the state. Obviously, you go there for free. That's kind of, you know, the deal that you're making, or at least, unfortunately, the deal that you're making, um, you know, and in the private schools, like, you know, in New York, you've got like Horace Mann and Collegiate and Brearley, you've been seeing all these scandals of, of like, you know, Project Veritas had a great report, for example, and we've done it at Breitbart. I covered it myself at Breitbart, where you have these teachers talking about, like, lube and and things that I'm probably not even allowed to say on air because they're so disgusting, but that's what you're getting at private schools for minors. Um, and, and, and then you have another section of private schools, which are called yeshivas, and they will not be blackmailed um, by the same kind of like sort of Damocles that hangs over the secular private school's head, which is Ivy League. They will not be blackmailed by that, and they won't be blackmailed by anything, in fact, because they only revere God, ultimately. And these are yeshivas, orthodox private schools in New York specifically. There's a big cluster of them that are now under attack by the state who are trying to get control over their curricula. And you have this group of people who are who are just not going to do it. They're just not going to have bondage, um, bondage, uh, drag queen babies at their schools. Not happening. And I find that fascinating that this is the one unmovable group that the left can't touch. And they are in total revolt. And it's it's just fantastic. So how do you think these tensions arise? Like, what, what are the conflicting? Because as we get, I'm, I'm, I think uh, I'm more interested in anything right now in in what's going on in America. It, the thing that interests me the most, I think, is 
tribalism. And there are some tribes that are artificial and they're created on Twitter and stuff. And then there are actual literal tribes, which is, you know, your religious community, which are, you know, have much more of a purpose and have much more are, are rooted in something much more productive. Uh, but how do we get some of these tensions, Emma? It seems like some of these pop up and at unexpected times and it, it takes kind of eagle-eared or eagle-eyed reporters to be able to figure out what's when these things are newsworthy to the public. Right. So, you know, yeah, that's right. So you have all kinds of different tribes, some some contrived and some are authentic, you know, that exist in, in American society. That's something that's going to happen when you have free speech and free association and freedom of religion. And, you know, that's fine. Um, and typically, like, you know, especially in, in the context, let's say, of this community of Orthodox Jews in New York, they kind of just exist and, you know, they go about their business and they don't really like to interact much with the secular world, you know, um, for various reasons and they keep to themselves and that's fine. But what's emerging right now and why this is all of a sudden caught my attention and why I think it's so newsworthy is, you know, we've been having this slow build of a clash of values um, with the progressive left, the militant progressive left and, and traditionalists. Um, and um, that has been kind of slowly inching toward each other in, in a conflict. And, and now it's, it's the pace is picking up, as you see. You know, you've seen it all over the country where there are certain states that are, you know, really laying down the law, literally laying down the law against the progressive left demand. Um, but in New York, that's not the case, right, because it's run by progressive leftists. But you have a community inside of New York that that is is protesting this and, and basically trying to resist they're trying to legislate wokeism and um, and uh, and this is all coming to a head because you know the New York Times really identified this group for for the legislature and for the DOE um, as as unmovable on on progressive values and on the embrace of progressive values and and essentially sticked um, the state on them through a series of hit pieces, um, which, you know, I looked at at Breitbart and I published a huge um, column about how this was total nonsense, the things that the Times were writing and, and the way that they went about their journalism. But anyway, um, you know, they they have drawn the attention of the state because they are the last stand against the values of the state, which are progressive leftism and wokeism. And, and now they have... The, the ire of the state, of the secular state, and they don't care. They're just like, no, we're voting Republican. If this is how Democrats are going to act, which is new. They typically used to vote Democrat. They are refusing to vote for Democrats now. They are refusing to support Democrats now. And not only that, but I watched a basically rock concert in, in uh, about an hour outside of the city this weekend um, in a Hasidic town where Kevin McCarthy came in. And it it looked like I, I can't even describe it to you. Like the streets were decked out in Star Spangled Banners and signs welcoming McCarthy. There was probably a thousand people there to see him. He could barely get a word in edgewise, uh, um, you know, over the applause because he was talking about parents' rights and education. And I think that this community is kind of like emerging as this kind of like iconic symbol of of refusing these demented and deranged values being pushed on children by the left. It's enough. And they said it's enough. And, and they're kind of the last ones that have the, uh, the guts to, to do this. Um, they won't be blackmailed. Um, they, their religion matters more and their children matter more than social clout in a progressive uh, community. 
one thing that's interesting for me because my kids are getting of school age and uh, the vast majority of public schools in the country are not usable but uh, my faith is catholic faith and and we like the idea of catholic schools perhaps though you know that's expensive and some of them are getting infiltrated and corrupted as well so it's not all catholic schools work and it seems like there's a race between parents who are trying to figure out are there alternatives to the public school system which is broken um, and will the religious schools get so woke they're not usable and this seems to be a, a sprint that we're on right now and i mm-hmm. guess maybe some of these yeshivas are not maybe they're not going woke as fast as some of the other institutions and that's offensive to the left they, they, they're on a full fledged assault they want to indoctrinate every child they can they want to bring them all into their cults and that's if they see any obstruction to that they're going to fight back with everything they have and i think that your exactly. stories that's illustrate exactly that what's going on. Yeah. It's, it's a seek and destroy mission against these yeshivas because they you know don't acknowledge that you can change your gender when you're eight and yeah. um definitely not and and that's right. You know, there are a lot of religious schools in the country who Catholics are one of them that I've been hearing about as well, who who are kind of starting to acquiesce to the demands of the left, which are deranged, and they should be called deranged. Um, and 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 these Jewish schools will will not give one inch. They won't give one inch. And, you know, The New York Times tries to say, you know, and the state try to say that, oh, they don't you know, English is their second language. So they have to be co-opted by the state. Um, it's it's nonsense. It's first of all, you're allowed to speak whatever language you want in in America. But that aside, it's like this is all just um, a pretext to get into these schools, and they acknowledge that, and they know that, and they're wise to it, and they've seen it because you know that's the thing too about Orthodox Jews is they're an ancient community, and they've been through tons of pogroms and tons of exiles and tons of political. Um, you know, just like crusades that have gone on against their religion and they know all the tricks and they're not falling for the tricks. So this is infuriating to the left. It's infuriating to the legacy media. It's infuriating to, uh, you know, just secular leftists in general among us in New York. And uh, they don't care. Um, It's kind of iconic. So why did McCarthy make this trip? Because he hasn't been speaker very long. He's very busy. He's doing a lot of pretty great stuff um, that I've been talking about on the show in other contexts today. And he makes this trip to talk to a pretty small community about a super important issue. I mean, school choice, et cetera. It's just, just, it doesn't get a lot bigger than that. Um, but is, uh, I, I'm kind of impressed by the instincts. Was it at all related to some of your reporting on this, Emma, do we think? Well, or what? So, yeah. So that was, okay. So this, the, when I started this reporting, it was really a canary in the coal mine because, um, because we are right up against an election. So this whole jihad against Hasidic Jews started in around late September. Um, it was around the Jewish holidays. And, and we obviously had an election coming up in November. So this all starts. The community response, how do they respond? They turn on Democrats. And this is not an insignificant community, especially in New York. This community, in, it, it could be argued easily, secured the Republican House majority for Kevin McCarthy. 
um, because the red wave, there was no red wave. The only place there was a red wave actually was in New York. And this is not an insignificant community in New York. This is 40,000 families just in Brooklyn. Um, and then you have another probably 20,000 around the state. Um, so, so this community turning on Democrats actually elected, for instance, Mike Lawler, whose seat was held previously by Sean Patrick Maloney, the chair of the DCCC. That was a hugely influential person and a very high profile race who just got his power ripped away from him because of this issue, because this community came out and said, how about no, and you don't have our back and you are allowing the state and the Democratic Party to to chase after us with pitchforks right now and we're not having it so this community um, in the grand scheme of the nation i guess is probably not very significant but in if you're looking at it district by district this community makes a huge impact they they took away like i said the bccc chair so um he went to to this to this town and went and talked about the exact issue that i think republicans um have for the first time in as long as I've been aware of politics, which is education. That was typically um, a sacred cow for the left. And now the Republicans have really ripped it from them. And this community is a great example of that in that the left has gone completely overboard. They've gone completely over, off the reservation. Um, any sane person um, knows that. And, and it's just a matter of, of identifying where that's a wedge issue and really seizing on it. I don't think Kevin McCarthy has any particular affinity, obviously, for Orthodox Judaism. But what he does understand and what he's right to is that this is a critical issue in places where Republicans don't have power but could. And that's a place like New York, maybe sure. not New York City and in Manhattan, but in Rockland County where he was. I mean, that was a flip. You know, and one other thing is also where the left has kicked our butts for so long. I've whined about this so much is how we don't do coalition building. Uh, that's how they got. They went so quickly from Black Lives Matter on the left to Black Trans Lives Matter, which was absurd and unrelated until you understand their thinking is that, well, we just build coalitions. It doesn't matter what it, it, we think people right. are going to vote the same. We but we put everyone together and we need to understand that that's a part of how they beat us with terrible ideas. Emma Joe, I'm out of time. I've run long. Um, terrific reporting. Everything Emma writes is super interesting and sometimes it breaks ground as well as is the case here. So I really appreciate it. And I come back soon. Thank you so much, Alex. I'm American made. I got American parts. All right, big thank you to Zach Jones, who puts the show together. He's our producer, and Robert Marlowe, who helps me pick topics for the opening. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening.